This is your operating system talking, not your computers or your phones, but your internal human operating system. I'm feeling a little overloaded. Here's how you can ease my stress. Close your eyes or softly gaze at something in front of you. Now inhale for four counts, exhale for six. Keep repeating. <sighs> Much better. Longer term, there's BetterHelp Online Therapy. They'll match us with a licensed therapist we can connect with via video, phone, or chat. Visit betterhelp.com slash positive and save 10% on our first month. I think you guys know me well enough that by now you realize if I'm invited to one of those so-called business casual events, no one ever knows how to dress for those. I'm not showing up in slacks and a nice shirt and a blue blazer. I just, it's not happening. I don't even own a blue blazer, firstly. Now, I'm not saying other people can't do that and look good, but not me. I'm not doing that. So I've adopted this new thing. I'm going to wear nice pants and a nice T-shirt. And everybody's just going to have to relate to that. And so far, it's worked. I'm going to a business casual event real soon. And I can't wait for my Viore T-shirt to arrive. I ordered two of them because I feel like I'm going to pull it off. And they were described as the kind of T-shirts that I would like to have. In fact, you can also use it you know, to work out, but I'm wearing it to the business casual event. Viore isn't your typical workout gear. People over there offer a new perspective on performance apparel. It's 100% offsetting its carbon footprint. If you're into purchasing things that are already selling well, the best selling products are the men's core short, one short for every sport, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. You can lounge in it or jog in it. It's, it's your life. They got shorts, they got all sorts of stuff, but I just want the t-shirts. And two of them are on my way and I'm wearing one of them to this business casual event and everybody's just going to have to cope. Viore, I'm told, is an investment in your happiness. Now, for our listeners, we got a 20% off on your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash main. Spell it for you. That's V-U-O-R-I dot C-O-M slash M-A-Y-N-E. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Not that you're going to return anything. Go to viore.com slash main and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Hello, Steve. What's up, Kenny? Are you in yes. your, your special coach's office? Yes, it's really special too. No offense. I thought you'd have a bigger office. What's going on? <laughs> what, what are the goals over there, over your left shoulder? Are those some team goals? Not allowed to. Oh, you're going to hide the team goals? You don't want to tell us what's going on? It's not allowed to steal. It's top secret. All right. Ready to go? Yeah. All right. Our guest today, uh, I've just been a big fan of as a player, then a coach, and then as a humanitarian because he helped out my foundation, Run Freely, which was very kind of Steve Kerr. And I kind of like where he's coming from in some other regard. He's a multiple... NBA champion as a player and coach. He's part of the woke mob. He's Steve Kerr. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Kenny. How What's you doing? That? What's up with that dumb word? I, you know what? We can go all over the place because you, you have, there's all sorts of facets to your story. Um, you and Coach Popovich, and not that others haven't, you know, taken stands on certain things, but to me, you two seem to be the leading voices many times when certain things come up. Um, and it's funny because we're taping this the day after uh, the, the, the election, the midterm election. And for our side, <laughs> I think people know where we've come from, uh, did better than expected. Although I think a lot of those polls were intentionally put out to try to dissuade people from even voting. So I don't know if they outperformed anything. They beat the spread in sports yeah. parlance, right? Um, That's right. So I, 
I had texted Steve and said, we're either going to just bum out for an hour and it's going to get really dark, but hopefully honest, or we'll celebrate. But we'll we'll do something in between. I, I think it's funny when you, I am obviously not in a platform like you, but we get criticism for standing up for certain things. And then you get, you're called a lefty or a socialist or you're woke or you're this or you're that. I mean, if if you really go down the list of the things you personally stand for, forgetting what party you're in or who you vote for, aren't they mostly just kind of moral things, equal mm-hmm. rights, fair treatment of others, fair housing, health care, taking care of the planet. Like most of those things, yeah. most people can commonly agree. Yeah. Those are all kind of things I'm for. Those are just kind of basic human rights. Um, yeah. I mean, you're just trying to uh, champion for, um, you know, decency and, uh, and humanity. That's, that's all. And I, I think that's, um, that's what's alarming, I think, about the modern state of of politics is that uh, somewhere along the way over the last decade, I don't think it was it was Trump. Trump definitely, um, you know, fed the fire. But uh, the the sort of lack of dignity uh, in in public discourse over the last couple of decades, um, I think that matters. You know, there there used to be a more of a sense of decency, even if it was fake, at least it was, you know, people were Civil. treating each other well in, in, in public discourse. And now it's like all the, all gloves are off and uh, it's led to a pretty dark place for us. Well, I think it's, it's also the problem is people have joined into their camps so hard that you don't ever get to the point to have legitimate discussions and try to find a middle ground it's just, oh, you're red and you're blue, so we must yeah. dislike each other. I'm not going to listen to anything you say. I was just having lunch before I came to do this taping and overheard a conversation. Right, now. I just stayed out of it. I just knew it was going to go bad. Right. They can, they, they have their opinion. I, I, I disagree with a bunch. But like I was starting to say at the top, just pick any issue. Most people think marijuana should be legal, and those who have been imprisoned for nonviolent—that's that's the difference. Um, why, why are they in prison? You know. Okay, there's one issue shouldn't all of us be able to work decent jobs at a decent wage and be able to take care of our families so that healthcare is an issue? Most people, yeah. And and it's just funny when you put the label on it, then all of a sudden the sides take over. Like right. like people are okay for socialism for wealthy people. They call those tax yeah. breaks. Yeah. But they're against yeah. socialism for poorer people, less advantaged people. You're right. It's just a terminology yeah. thing half the time. Well, it's like in the sports world, like, like, you know, the sports teams, professional teams are owned by, you know, some of the country's biggest capitalists. And then we have a salary cap, you know, <laughs> so the capitalists, you know, suddenly and we have we have revenue sharing, you know, where, where you know, the wealthy teams are sharing with the, the poor teams in order to make it work for everyone. And it's kind of like. Hey, yeah, yeah. Guess what? That that you know, that's the only way it works for some people. Is if you know, there's a there's a sharing of the pie. But if, for whatever reason, you know, any thought of that happening um, in society, um, it it it's immediately branded as you know, communism or anti-American. And um, but that's 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 part of you know the modern media machine. Um, Media for profit um, didn't used to be a thing. I don't know how long ago this really um, started, but in my mind, um, you know, media for profit these days is 
is so bad. It's so negative because it just it it pulls people into those camps that you're talking about, and then it just reinforces the negative uh, stereotypes of the other side. Uh, and meanwhile, these these uh, media companies are are just churning out the dollars by you know fomenting anger and and distrust. And it's like, yeah, this is not really a good recipe for a healthy country. There are times where things have happened in this country. I believe it was the shooting in Texas. Didn't you come to the podium that same day? Tell me if I have the chronology right. Yeah, Uvalde. Uvalde. It was just like, I can't talk about basketball right now. Like This was so heavy on you. And we'll get, obviously, to what happened with your father. But that's close to your heart, obviously, gun violence in a different way. And and I remember you just like, I just need to say some things, right? You just kind of like let it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lost it. We were in Dallas for a playoff game and Evaldi was about a four hour drive from Dallas. And all I could think about during the day after I saw the news was, you know, those, those poor little fourth grade children and what they, what they faced and those poor families. And I think I was thinking the exact same thing as everybody in this country. It's like, you know, what the hell are we doing? Um, This is so disgusting and wrong. And, and, and all I could think about was that no matter what was proposed in Washington, um, we had 50 Republican senators who would vote against that proposal uh, as it related to gun violence prevention, gun safety measures, even though you know 80 to 90 percent of people in this country want universal background checks, uh, regardless of your political affiliation. Um, we can't get something as simple as that passed because of this political divide we're in. And it's just, it's that's what was on my mind that day was just how angry I was that people could actually put their career in politics, their power, the money they were getting from lobbyists ahead of the lives of a classroom full of fourth graders. Um, it, it, it made me sick to my stomach and I had to I had to say something about it. Have there been times on other issues, you know, after George Floyd, and there have been other examples where you, Coach Pop, some others, you know, stood up, said what you had to say. It was almost like it had to come out, like it was so raw. And if you didn't have an opinion then, when would you ever have an opinion on anything, right? And right, right. You, you don't seem like you've ever had any kind of restraint for I'm just going to be me, and, and you're not really – fearful of being penalized where a lot of other people in public facing positions, ESPN, for example, other places, they, there is that fear like, Oh, if I go too far and say too much. So have you, because of your position, you're in, you know, pretty well off, pretty successful, untouchable to some degree. Do you feel that almost like you, you have a little more, a looser rein to, to really speak your mind? Uh, I have a lot of, lot of things going for me that allow me to speak to my mind. One is what you just mentioned that um, I've had success uh, in, in this job and I have uh, stability in the job. Number two is I'm a white male. Um, so I have, uh, I, I have a, an easier job, an easier time uh, in my life speaking out than a minority would uh, or a woman would. Um, Number three, I live in the Bay Area. Um, frankly, everybody around here kind of agrees 
agrees with me. Um, it's one of the things I really admire about Pop is that you know, Pop is he's unbelievably outspoken and honest, and um, he's in the middle of Texas, and uh, he takes a lot of flack for it. Most people here agree with me. Pop Pop doesn't have a lot of support. Uh, he's got some, but you know the majority doesn't support a lot of what he talks about in Texas. So, um, but yes, the advantages that I have allow me to to speak up without fear. This is not to compare the two things at all. It's just a way of kind of explaining to you how I'm asking it. I lost twin sons. They were born too early a long time ago. And there are people sometimes who think they don't want to bring up what happened. And mm -hmm. I'm the other way. I'm like, no, I like, they, they were actual human beings that didn't live for very long, but it, it, I don't want to forget them. I don't want to pretend that didn't happen, even if it hurts to talk about it. And I think with your father, who was assassinated for those many know, but some are, you know, not hip to this. You were a college freshman. Do I have that right? At the time mm -hmm. you were at Arizona, mm -hmm. your father's mm -hmm. across the world teaching at American university and there was a terrorist attack. And I don't mean to make you drag you through the whole experience yeah. again, but that's something obviously you never forget that goes without saying, yeah. but yeah. also do you, like to remember him and all all the goodness that he brought and what he was to you for those years that you had him or do you compartmentalize it that was this terrible period in my life like it's you're the no I, I like to i like to think of of my dad and kenny i didn't know that um in your story and I, so i i boy that's uh that's terrible loss and i'm, I'm sorry that uh, you had to go through that and i respect the fact that you want to keep discussing sure the issue and the and the because it's it's so important to you and it's in your heart and I feel the same way with my dad. I love when people come up to me and tell me stories about my dad that I may not have known um, or you know come across a letter that he wrote to me you know years ago or or something you know it's, it, those are those bring back great memories and I'd rather keep them alive. So I'm I'm very comfortable talking about my dad and I, and I think, you know, his death for sure um, spurred my uh, intense passion for, for gun violence prevention and, and gun safety measures. So it, it all goes hand in hand. Yeah. And I apologize for the inelegant way I got into that. There's no easy way to talk about somebody's yeah. loss. I yeah, kind of right. stumbled backwards. Right. So uh, hopefully it came out halfway respectful at least. Yeah, no, no doubt. But, but to be a kid, who you were actually born in Beirut, correct? Uh, yeah, I was born in Beirut because my dad um, was teaching at the American University there. Uh, my older siblings were born there as well. But we moved to L.A. when I was pretty young, like two years old, because my dad took a job at UCLA as a professor. So most of my childhood was spent in L.A., uh, but um, my dad would take occasional sabbaticals and we'd go overseas and uh, we lived in Cairo for three years and uh, France for a year. Um, at the time, I didn't I didn't love it because I, you know, I loved L.A. and I grew up going to UCLA basketball games when John Wooden was a coach. And that's where I fell in love with the game. And, um, you know, that was my life. And all of a sudden we'd just pack up and go to Egypt. Like, really, <laughs> we're going to do this. Um, but now I look look back on it and I realize it's uh, one of the great gifts that my parents ever gave me was a worldly perspective and experience and um, an understanding of, of um, you know, how different cultures are, but how similar people are. And, um, 
And so I, I'm really grateful for the experience of living overseas. Did you ever go back to Beirut? I went, uh, I, I, I went back in 1983, just before my freshman year of college started. And uh, that was three months before my dad was killed there and I have not been back since. Is it intentional not to go back? Like it'd be too painful or just, it just never came up to go back. Um, I've actually had it planned a couple of times and then um, it just didn't work out. I, I really want to go back and I want to show my kids and my wife uh, the American university campus where I was born uh, where, you know, my dad was born and, and raised uh, and, and also died. Um, and I want to see the memorial that is there on campus for him. Uh, we're going to make it there uh, someday, but um, the, the occasion hasn't, hasn't happened yet. So you're talking about being in Los Angeles, watching John Wooden and being a little kid around that program. That, yeah. That's a pretty good spot to be if you like the game of basketball. Incredible spot. And then I ended up going to his camps when I got old enough because he, he retired in, in uh, 75 when I was 10 years old. I The first games I remember, Bill Walton was playing. So it would have been 72, you know, 71, 72, 73, somewhere in there. Um, and that was, you know, right in the in the middle of their dynasty when they won, I think, eight in a row, uh, seven in a row, something like that eight out of 10 or 10 out of 12 in the end in, in Wooden's last 12 years. Um, so going to those games, uh, not an empty seat at Poly Pavilion, the band playing, uh, you're six years old and, you know, all you want to do is, is hold a ball in your hand anyway. And then you see that it's like, Oh, wow. Like this is, this is where I want to be. So. Um, I'm pretty lucky to have that that experience. Yeah, that's like somebody loving football and growing up going to Packer games or something, right? I mean, it's like yeah, yeah, big time it's mecca. This is your operating system talking, not your computers or your phones, but your internal human operating system. I'm feeling a little overloaded. Here's how you can ease my stress: close your eyes or softly gaze at something in front of you. Now inhale for four counts. Exhale for six. Keep repeating. Ah, <sighs> much better. Longer term, there's better help online therapy. They'll match us with a the licensed therapist we can connect with via video, phone, or chat. Visit betterhelp.com slash positive and save 10% on our first month. What's going on, everyone? Elliot Shore Parks here to talk to you about the latest podcast from Odyssey, the best football show. What is it? Every day, latest rumors, latest buzz around the league, latest from college football, all the latest scores, the latest takes, the best takes, everything you come to expect from the excellent Odyssey NFL coverage every day in your podcast feed at 6 a.m. So make sure you start every day with the best football show on the Odyssey app or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. So my wife has this favorite chair she sits in in the what we call the ladies' tea room. It's, it's an inside joke. Um, and she's always typing over there. So I'm like, hey, are you writing a book? This is must going to be fascinating when it gets published. Nope. Turns out she's just ordering stuff on the Internet, and she does that quite a bit. And sometimes I'm like, do we really need that? And she says yes. I'm like, whatever. But in this case, when I find out that she's been ordering a certain thing called Sakara. I'm like, you keep typing over there, girl. 
Because when Sakara shows up, good stuff has arrived at our front door. This year, why don't you give yourself a gift at the holidays? You'll feel good all season with healthy and nutritious meals that taste amazing. Your health is truly the greatest gift of all. Sakara is a wellness company that makes thoughtfully curated meals and supplements to be your source for a feel-better holiday. Sakara's collection of wellness tools are designed with organic, functional ingredients to help you feel and look your best from holiday parties to New Year's wellness rituals. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash heymain. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A, dot com, com is spelled C-O-M, slash heymain, H-E-Y-M-A-Y-N-E, to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash heymain. Do you ever find it funny... All the success you've had as a coach, and there's like, you know, there's young players in the league. They, not everybody knows the history, right? They just have their life. And did you ever surprise some people when they're like, oh, wait, Steve Kerr was like really good at basketball too. He wasn't just a, like, do you ever have that occurrence? Where you, <laughs> no, I, damn, I led the league in threes and I won a bunch of titles. I got rings all over the place. I think the, uh, I think the players know it. I think the last dance helped a little bit, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> they actually saw some highlights. Uh, it's like, oh, it's more than just a rumor. You actually did play in the NBA. Uh, I know w- when I was my player's age, you know, I, Lenny Wilkins was uh, my second coach. I played for uh, Phoenix for a year, and then I got traded to Cleveland, and Lenny was a coach. And and so I knew Lenny as the coach of the Sonics, you know. Um, 79. Yeah, 79 championship. I remember watching that and um, him celebrating and – uh, but I didn't know him as Hall of Fame point guard Lenny Wilkins, you oh, know. Wow. So all I knew was I read the stories about him, but I had yeah. never really seen highlights. So, you know, it's a generational thing. You 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 probably know a little bit, but you don't know the details of of your coach's past life, you know. That's funny because I must be older than you. I think I am. Um Lenny was my favorite player growing up. I grew up in okay. Seattle. He's yeah. our left-handed point guard with that little running hook and yep. out of Providence. And then he gets traded for Butch Beard. I was so mad. He was my favorite player. I'm like He's 11 years old. Yeah. And was, what do you mean you trade? And then, you know, he came back. He was a player coach. He was player coach at Portland as well. Yeah. He's actually on our podcast as well. I think really? he'll come on at, at another time. Yeah. So yeah. When did you know you're at Arizona doing pretty well, right? All conference a couple times that you were ready for the pros or did you have some doubts that you were good enough to be in the pros? No, I had doubts even after I made the pros, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I, I, I didn't really think about the NBA while I was in college. Cause I was, uh, I, I really honestly wasn't good enough. And um, I was a late bloomer and, uh, you know, barely got a scholarship to Arizona last second. And it took me, you know, a couple of years to, to gain, uh, confidence and and become a you know a good player in the Pac-10 and uh, even my senior year you know we had a great team we made the Final Four and uh, I thought well maybe I could you know sneak into the NBA for a year or two you know a cup of coffee type thing um, so I, I honestly never really gave a, an NBA career a ton of thought. I talked to Rex Chapman the other day. He's actually also on our podcast at some point. We were on the phone, and he I was telling him I was about to talk to you, and he just he praised you, forgetting that you were a great shooter. He was talking about just how tough you were. You like, and maybe that was born into what you were just saying that 
you had to be you you had mm. to get back up and 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 fight for every minute and then it turned out you were pretty good I think uh you know when you when you get that close to the NBA you you, you know a big part of it is figuring out how you're going to make it you know and and so you you got to be good at something I was I was an excellent shooter so uh, I had that going for me but I I realized like I was going to have to be somebody that the coach could count on I, I had to compete you know my tail off every second because I wasn't going to play high minutes and um and I learned all that stuff and and um and yes I think I was uh, even though I was physically overmatched a lot of times I was uh I was you know I was I was gritty I had the you know I had that the the uh competitiveness in me that allowed me to stick around Can you still shoot? I can shoot but only free throws. My knees are shot, you know, no jump shots anymore. So I just shoot free throws. So you must have a kind of a special affection, well many people do for Steph and just the insane things that he can do yeah. out there. But given that you were quite a good three-point shooter yourself, there must be something like a, a pretty cool connection that way. Like he's doing the 2.0 version of what I was doing in the late nineties or whatever. Yeah. Maybe even like 5.0. <laughs> I mean, it's uh it's stunning to watch Steph work every day. And, and cause he took shooting from a, a level that existed when he first got into the league, you know, threes were, were starting to climb. And and so he, he took what was there already and expanded it a little bit. And then I think all of a sudden the, he got so good with everything, with his conditioning, with his ball handling, you know, it got to the point where he realized I can get a three off almost any time. And, you know, analytics had caught up to the game. It's like, no threes are better than long twos. Uh, and I think it took me a couple of months into my first year coaching him. So 2014, uh, took me a couple of months to understand that pretty much any three he took was a good shot. And the reason it took me a long time is because for my entire basketball existence, uh, all these coaches I had, and they were all Hall of Fame coaches, Lou Olson, Lenny Wilkins, Phil Jackson, Pop, they would have been telling me what a terrible shot that was, you know, like you can't shoot a fadeaway 25 footer, like get the ball inside. Um, but I realized after a couple of months, it's like, okay, he's shooting 45% on these shots. So they're so 67% from two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what are we doing? Like, these are great shots. I, I, no matter what they look like, they're great shots. And, and then, you know, we won the title that year. He won MVP and he came back the next year. And I think his volume went from seven threes a game to 10 or 11. And that's where it was like, you know, let him loose. Like, don't, you know, not that we weren't letting him loose the year before, but it was like when everything sort of, we all sort of realized, oh my God, like Steph, shoot, shoot threes every time if you want. And uh, he's been at it ever since, but the guy's just incredible. He's such a special human being. For, forget the player part. He's just an incredible human being. And he has allowed us to coach him all these years. And he just sets an amazing tone for our organization. Once in a while, he kind of throws a lazy pass. I've, I've noted that. Yeah, but, you with, know what? I think it's style. That. No, I think he's doing that for style. You know, when he does that little shruggy, I'm pushing it left-handed. Right, right. And it barely gets to where he's going. It always right, gets there. Right. Not always, but most times. But it looks so. Oh, if he were a junior high player, you'd be screaming at him. 
but because he does but, what he does. He, he gets yeah, and, and and I think what I realized about that too is that it's part of his rhythm. It's like it's mm-hmm. not it's it's beyond style. It is style, but it's like part of his flow. When you, I think part of the reason people love watching him play is because everything looks so effortless, and he looks so carefree. And so many athletes, and I was a prime example of this, are just grinding out there. <laughs> and it and it looks like they're having to try right. hard. And with Steph, it's like part of the what makes him who he is is there's this this sort of careless, free, I'm gonna just let it fly. And it's it shows in his sh- shooting motion. It's so fluid. Yeah. Uh, but some of that is you gotta live with, you know, some of the careless <laughs> passes. <laughs> but he's that good and that loose because he puts himself in a comfortable place because he works so hard. Like I yeah. like even watching him in warmups. Like I used to like watch, I'd like to watch Ichiro stretch. He was such an interesting guy. So uh, good at what he, there's something fascinating about watching yeah. somebody do their thing. And Steph will do that ridiculous thing where he keeps getting farther out. He makes damn near everyone. Like, yeah, yeah. It really is crazy. I, I, I see, I see so much of Dell, his dad in his movements and his fluidity, now Steph is is a point guard. Dell was was more catch and shoot. You know, two. He was a two or a three, um, but there was this fluidity about Dell's shot. And I used to guard him, um, and if you gave him any space, he just shot it so easily. And uh, clearly, Steph inherited uh, you know that shooting stroke and that fluidity and that hand eye coordination. But then he's got the wheels, you know, and the incredible. Sure speed and quickness and and balance that uh, to go with it and that's what makes him one of the greatest of all time i think you might have answered the question i was going to ask partly there in the discussion about steph and he's on a whole different level but the whole game changed to the sense that the players affected the change as opposed to the coaches deciding hey we're going to have a lot of this type of basketball yeah. now it's like the players got so good and seven footers are cranking threes the game just evolved. In your day, it was inside out. You still had Kareem, people dumping it down low and kicking it out right. if somebody was open. There were some plays set up off double screens for shooters like Fred Brown or whoever. But, right, it was it was a different game than it is today in, in a marked way. It's a different game, but like everything, it always takes a couple of visionaries to sort of, uh, you know, advance the game. And I think Mike D'Antoni was one. Um, you know, his Phoenix teams around 04 when they got Nash – they, they downsized, you know, they played uh, Stoudemire at the five and Marion at the four and put three shooters out there with those two guys. And it was like the whole league hadn't really seen much of that. Nelly was another guy who was a visionary, um, but ahead of his time. I mean, he was doing the small ball stuff, um, you know, in the 80s, but, mm-hmm. but nobody really copied it. Um, so I think it was sort of. You know, between Nelly, uh, Rick Pitino, actually, remember the Knicks teams, sure. uh, late 80s, they all of a sudden were shooting an astronomical 12 to 14 threes a game. You know, yeah. nobody could believe it, <laughs> but they were pressing and trapping and shooting a bunch of threes. So I, I was, I was like the visionaries. I like the guys who sort of break the mold of how the game is played. And then once that happens, then the players adapt. And like you said, you got these seven foot guys uh, who are growing up shooting threes because they're seeing other guys on TV do it. Yeah. You touched on watching John Wooden as a young kid in person. You had a pretty solid foundational coach in yourself at Arizona with Lute Olson. What, what type of things do you think you do today that you might've, learned from him that you were informed by him 
I think just the uh, the importance of the of the structure of uh, an organization um, of um, you know the sanctity of the group and and you know you're trying to achieve something special and there needs to be an organized plan every single day and that's what I learned when I got to Arizona every day was was planned out. Coach Olson was so good about creating this aura about what we were trying to do and how we were going to get there. And when I got there to school, Arizona was the worst team in the country. Literally they were four and 24 the year before uh, coach Olson got there. And I got there his first year and uh, we made the NCAA tournament uh, my sophomore year. So Lutz second year, uh, Arizona made the tournament and then made 25 in a row after that. So he literally turned it around in, in a year and a half. It was incredible. But I saw how powerful that that daily organization structure, vision, attention to detail, how it all just worked together and and built momentum. And um, I was lucky to have that experience. That's really the, what led me to this whole career I've had in basketball. But does the isn't there the key moment in coaching or teaching any kind of you know leadership role with you, you people underneath you that you're their mentor? teach them so much that they can pull it off without you holding their hand anymore. That like I played football in college. I didn't play that much, but I remember asking my coach, Tony Knapp, why he let us call plays. I was like, this is kind of cool. He, he said, if I haven't taught you by Friday, what I want you to do, then I haven't done my job. Yeah. Is there something yeah. to that in the way a good coach coaches? No question. You know, Phil Jackson, um, was great with that. He he would really coach us in practice and in the games. I mean, you could you can still see him right now sitting on that that huge chair of his, looking at his nails. You know, as the Bulls or Lakers are on the wrong side of an eight zero run, and he's <laughs> yeah you know, he, he he didn't flinch. He was like, all right, you guys get yourselves out of this. And and uh, so Phil was really about that pop too. Um, and then, you know, when I was preparing for coaching, I, I visited with a lot of coaches, uh, not just my coaches, but football coaches. Pete Carroll had a big influence on me, uh, Bill Parcells. I kind of had a, an in just because I, I you know, was uh, – I played in the NBA so people knew who I was, and and I, I was with, – with a little help um, – I'd reach out to people and say, "Hey, can I come visit?" And the, and everybody was so welcoming. But the thing that every coach told me was, "You got to be yourself. You know, you have to figure out um, how to make it authentic to you. Because if you try to be Phil or Pop, people are going to see right through it." Um, so what I've found is I've just taken a whole lot from all the coaches that I've I've had, and I use a lot of that stuff. But it has to be me. It has to come from my heart. So, so we might have a we have a Lou Olson drill. We have a pop drill. Hmm. We have a Phil Jackson drill. Like I don't, you know, I don't necessarily tell the players this is where this drill came from or that. But I use a lot of drill work. But the the communication and the our vibe and the building, the way we go about things, that's that's all my personality. As we tape this, this is, uh, what is this, November 9th. So hopefully between now and when this runs, the Golden State Warriors have put it back together. You, you haven't exactly gotten out of the gate in the way that they <laughs> Didn't you guys win the title last year, I thought? Yeah, like, right? I, I think so. I, yeah. yeah. But it doesn't, time. does it not feel like it? Like, is, has this whole trip, we'll get into what happened with Draymond. Like, it's been 
not your best start out of the gate. Is that that's an understatement? Yeah, that's an understatement. It, it's a very slow start, um, and I could I could point to a number of reasons, and none of them really matter. You know, the only thing that matters is your your record, and so. Uh, what we have to do internally is uh, address all of the, the things we're doing poorly and address any team issues or conflicts, anything like that. And we, you do that every day. And um, but you, you know, publicly, um, you're wasting your time if you, you know, start listing all the reasons for your slow start. And uh, bottom line is, you just have to get it done as a as a group, players and coaches uh, both, and and uh, all together. So. We're in that process, and I'm I'm really confident that we'll we'll be all right. Did what happen the fight at the practice that you know was made so much of? Is that one of the ingredients? Like like right away, you guys weren't the cohesive group right. because you had to go through all that dysfunction. And you've said I've I've read and heard you say we've had meeting after meeting after you know one on one team. We're doing therapy together before we right. can go play basketball together. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that set us back for sure. You know, it took up a lot of time. Um, it takes a lot of emotional energy. Uh, you worry about, you know, the players, uh, everybody, you worry about the, the young players, you witness it, you worry about Jordan, you worry about Trema. Um, and so as a coach, that's, uh, again, that's all part of it. And, um, you have to deal with that. And every year, what makes coaching so interesting, um, is that every year is very different. And, you know, a year ago, we started out 18 and two. Part of that was, you know, we hadn't, hadn't been to the playoffs in two years, uh, the previous two years. And part of it was, um, you know, we we had a, a group of, of vets who were really hungry, who wanted to reestablish that the Warriors were going to be really good. And so we came flying out of the gates and uh, and then later in the season, we had a stretch where we lost nine out of 11 games um, and everyone was counting us out then. And um, obviously we got through that spell and won the championship. So every year is kind of this journey and and you have to I think the a coach's biggest job is pacing the team through it all and not getting too high, not getting too low and, and try to try to guide guys both individually and collectively through the season. But it's kind of crazy to think you just won a title and then you probably face the toughest short period coaching issues of your whole career immediately after. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a metaphor for NBA coaching. You know, you you really do see everything uh, if you're around long enough. And, and um, it's uh, every team is so different. Every every team has this kind of. Uh, I don't know, like a life force, you know, where you, you can feel it, you can feel the vibe. And uh, is it going in the, the right direction? Is it going in the wrong direction? Uh, you know, can it sustain? Um, and you sort of feel all this and you ha you hash this stuff out with your your general manager and the, the people who are running the team. And, um, and then you figure out, you know, what you need to do um, personnel wise, strategy wise. And, but what an incredible job to be able to to do this and, and to try to, uh, to figure it all out, um, as a group, it, it, it's really fun. Do you feel like Draymond did everything that was necessary to try to repair what happened? Or is it still a thing that needs more work? You know, I mean, you guys didn't get rid of him. You didn't suspend him. You just find him. Right. And he tried to get him back into the team and 
Is, yeah, is Dray- it back Dray- together yet? I guess is the question. Yeah, Draymond's been great. I mean, he's he's playing well. Um, you know, as 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 we talked about earlier, you know, it took us some time as a group to sort of recover and sort through everything. Um, but but he's been great. He's he's all in. He's totally committed. He's he's playing uh, so hard, and uh, you know, so I'm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really uh, really happy with the way he's uh, he started the season, but we we just have to find our ourselves as a team. A um, lot of new players, a lot of young players. We're still trying to sort out roles and combinations and that sort of thing, but uh, we'll we'll get there. I'm sure you loved that immediately after that happened. Then everybody's like, "Well, Kerr himself had his own deal. It was a different situation. You and Michael Jordan, you two made your piece somehow. Right. And right. if I have a correct, you made it pretty quick. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, 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 you know, the, these things are, are always, um, unique to sports. You know, I think that's the, the, um, the hard part for people who aren't in sports to understand, um, especially when you see video, you know, it uh, makes it seem worse, right. Instead of just hearing the story. Right. I mean, hell in football, there's like three fights a practice in two days. Right. Linemen are always, you know, linebacker, somebody gets yelled. Like, I'm not excusing fighting. I'm not a pro-violence guy, but it does happen. Things get right. so hot. I have no idea what led to that one, but, right, people get angry, and that's yeah. unfortunately a way of expressing your anger. Yeah, yeah and, and, and so people, I think, on the outside kind of would maybe make the analogy like, or maybe even they do make the analogy, you know, um, people writing about it or observing. It's like, uh, hey, if you did that in a Starbucks, you'd get arrested. And it's true. You would get arrested. Um, but, you know. But Starbucks guys aren't banging off each other for a rebound. They're just, <laughs> exactly. They're just making exactly. lattes. Like, this is the most competitive, uh, you know, situation you can possibly find. Not not just because of basketball, but because of what's at stake. I mean, it, you know, these are life-changing jobs that these guys have, and every player is under pressure uh, to to perform, to stay in the league, to succeed, to uh, negotiate a great contract, to take care of their families. I mean, and it's life-changing money, and it's so there's a ton of pressure, and and that's uh, part of why these you know altercations come in a physical sport where there's you know like you said people banging into each other all the time, um, fights happen they really do but but um, in my experience in sports, teammates sort of understand that and they get through it uh, pretty quickly. Okay, the kids are already asking what's for dinner, but breaking news, empty fridge. That's okay, I'll Instacart. Let's add some organic asparagus and some farm fresh chicken, easy. Wait, is the oldest vegetarian this week or was it gluten-free? Gluten-free pasta, covered either way, cart it. And finally, some vegetarian gluten-free olives for my well-earned cocktail. When your family's shopping list has more footnotes than groceries, the world is your cart. Visit instacart.com or download the app and get free delivery on your first order. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Delivery subject to availability. Additional terms apply. Officially one hour until your favorite show premieres. Time to get some snacks delivered through Instacart. 
Okay, let's get some popcorn, seltzer, chocolate-covered almonds, and... <gasps> Wait, did they release the whole season? Better cart some ice cream for the two-part finale. When your day should be ending but a new season is starting, the world is your cart. Visit instacart.com or download the app and get free delivery on your first order. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Did you like Last Dance? Did you like watching and reliving what that was all about? I did. I watched it with my kids who were all, you know, sort of either born during yeah. that that era or just before. And, and uh, you know, now they're all in their 20s. Uh, so it's, it's uh, it was really fun to watch it with them and, and see their perspective on what our lives were like back then. Um, were they I thought, like dad was pretty cool. He was on these <laughs> hitting threes. And, like, yeah. I mean, they knew you played basketball now, you co but right. They were too young to maybe appreciate it in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, that part was, was really fun. Um, you know, they, they can't, they can only cover so much. Uh, the, the one thing that disappointed me is that two guys really got left out Luke Longley and Ron Harper, and they, they just weren't featured in in the the documentary and they were starters and really key players for us um championship players and uh you know after watching it i just felt so bad for those guys because you know it's like here we are 20 plus years later um it's kind of fun to be recognized for sure. something that happened in a special era and he here are two guys who were you know, key parts of everything. And they were, they were barely referenced. And I, I, I felt really bad about that. Well, we don't know who the, who got the final cut. I know Pearl Jam played the final song. That was very fitting. The present tense song. That was cool. Did you, did you almost yeah. like get a little. Yeah. I got chill. Raising up? Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Even people who weren't on the bulls. Including yeah. me. Uh, we hated you. Cause you would, I mean, respectfully hated you. Cause you know, there's always that guy like, oh, my God, he did it again. You Like, they bring him off the bench. He crushes the three. <laughs> I'm a Sonics fan, okay? So yeah. I want to play this out. 96 title series. George Carl's the coach. We've got Camp, Gary Payton. Nate McMillan was injured much of that series, right? Kind of in and out. Had he been healthy, can we agree it would have been a slightly tighter series? Uh, yes. Uh, Nate was a really key part of their team. And I remember when he came back, um, I think he came back in game four and they won games four mm -hmm. and five. Um, it, he was a, a huge part of their team. I will always just can circle back to the fact that Michael Jordan was just better than everybody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he had, he had amazing, uh, support from Scotty and Dennis. I mean, the three of those guys together, um, and then you throw Ron Harper in there and they're switching everything. Uh, Ku coach. I mean, we had, w Michael had great support around him, but um, you know, the Sonics had a hell of a team, but Michael Jordan was just different. He so no matter what was going to happen, there was always going to be the Jordan factor to erase any yes. advantage. The other guys might've had it. He was always going to win. Michael was always going <laughs> to, that was, that was the feeling not only in our team, but I think around the league, he cast that kind of a spell on the rest of the league. Well, what about being his teammate and you're coming down the court? I mean, all of us who just played garbage ball at the Y, you know, never played any kind of level like you guys, you got 
two guys on your team you know are better players, better shooters, and there's always that reticence. Shit, if I miss the shot, that guy's gonna be pissed at me because he, you know what I mean? Was yeah. there any of that on the Bulls? Oh, where yeah, yeah. You yeah, better you, make your fucking shot. Yeah, you don't. You you just didn't want to let him down, you know. And and uh, and he would let you know about it if you did let him down. And you know, th- I think that was covered pretty well in the documentary that uh, you know he led with this uh, intimidation and and uh, f- just fierce competitiveness. That on you know one hand lifted us up, uh, but on the other hand made it made made it difficult to play with them for for a lot of people, and so you had to be able to get through that. I always felt like that was part of Michael's uh, strategy was I'm going to put these guys through hell because if they can deal with me, then they'll be able to deal with a playoff game. And, I think you have um, something there, yeah, because yeah. you he was essentially like a player coach, a, a second coach on the team, right. had that kind yeah. of authority. He and Phil had a great partnership and, uh, and that's, you know, I've, I, that was another great lesson for me, pop and, and Tim Duncan had a great partnership. Um, you know, when I became coach of the Warriors, I, I had seen it. I had seen how important that Alliance is. And, and, uh, it's one of the reasons that, um, I count my blessings every day because Steph Curry is a really easy guy to build an alliance with. And we share the ball. (laughs) Yeah. We we share a lot of the same values as human beings, but, but um, even as basketball players, you know, um, I, I, even though we're not exactly alike, I couldn't do anything that he he could do unless I was standing still. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but I, you know, you see the game as as a guard and, and with floor spacing and all that, it's like, yeah, this, this is going to work pretty well. Well, it's kind of funny hearing you tell your travels, you know, all the way from youth watching wooden, and then you got Lute Olson, and you got Phil Jackson. You're around Michael Jordan, Popovich. Uh, am I leaving a couple more people out? I mean, well, I played with Shaq his rookie year in Orlando. I mean, it's yeah. like, uh, you know, I, I I I go down the list, and I just sometimes I just stop, and I think this is crazy. Like my, I'm like the you know the Forrest Gump of the NBA. <laughs> like, it just keep showing up in these, you know historic eras and periods around all these incredible people and but you were totally blessed by the game to make you the coach that you are now yes you you took all this information all of it and kind of did it your own way but you borrowed from all these different sources that's right that's right and i'll i'll tell you i'll tell you a great story um uh phil in chicago we had uh an out-of-bounds play called what the fuck (laughs) and you know, you you get to Chicago and Phil says, "All right, let's run what the fuck." And and you know, we're all like, "Why did you know? Why would they call a play what the fuck?" So one day, you know, after once I felt comfortable enough, I said, "I said, Phil, why do you call the play what the fuck?" And he says, "Well, because Red Holtzman was my coach in New York, and one game, at the end of the game, he pulled us aside, and he goes, "All right, guys, um, what the fuck? Let's just run this." And he drew up this play, and it worked. And so for the rest of that year, the Knicks called that play, what the fuck? Okay. So that was like 72. We call that play, what the fuck, right now with the Warriors in 2024. So put that thread all the way back to 1972. That's how the game is connected. You know, it's like through people, through phrases, through plays. Um, and it's just amazing to think about. Um, is it still the same? Like do other do other teams now scout you? They don't know which one of your plays is called what the fuck because you have several inbounds plays, I assume. 
no they know one. exactly what they know when it went like when, when and and we have a signal for it. we just go like that like as yeah. if you're saying hey what the fuck right so we just go like that and the other team now everybody knows it knows the play um but so the other team will be yelling what the fuck what the fuck <laughs> and i and i always laugh thinking about the people in the first row going what the fuck what the fuck yeah what the fuck is happening right now uh, and it still works it still works. I mean, I, it, I know, assume Steph shoots. Is, Steph, is it, Steph or Clay Steph shoots. Will shoot at the yeah. end of it. Yeah, uh, and 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 look, uh, you know, Luke Walton ran it. You know, when he was the head, all of Phil's disciples have run it. Uh, Brian Shaw, when he was coaching Denver, he ran what the fuck, um, and and we just keep calling it the same thing because of you know Red Holtzman just randomly saying at the end of a game in the early seventies. I I just I love that stuff. I love how how connected yeah. the game is. Well, what the fuck is both the working title and the mission of this podcast? So <laughs> you're, you're in correct company there. Uh, did you have a good uh, personal relationship with Dennis Rodman? He's very eccentric. I've been around him a few times. I like him. Yeah. Um, but given his eccentricities, his tireless work effort, I mean, he was ridiculous. The, the defense he played and the rebounding and a, a great guy to have on your team. But you also then had to deal with the the wild card shit that was going to come up. Right. Yeah, I I, I really liked uh, Dennis. Um, he was a lot of the stuff that he would do on camera was for show. He was really quiet yeah. behind the scenes, you know. And and um, but I think uh, he you know he loved Pearl Jam as you know. Uh, he loved the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, he would uh, he was always involved in the music scene in Chicago, and you know those of us who kind of liked the same music uh, Luke Longley, Judd Bushler uh, we would, you know, we'd go to shows with him. Um, and that was an experience in and of itself, but um, <laughs> we connected with him, you know, through, through music. And um, he was uh, just a, a really warm, uh, kind hearted person when you got past the facade and all the marketing stuff that he would do. And everybody appreciated that about him. But there was, you know, there, there was sort of an expiration date that, that we, we all saw, like after three years, it just wasn't going to, wasn't going to work anymore. And at that point, you know, as you all saw in the last dance, the, the run was over anyway, but um, yeah, he was, uh, he, he was, he's Dennis is a good, he's a good human being. I once flew to San Antonio to shoot a story about him getting a haircut. That was the entire, just really? hang out while he, he hair dye, I should say, yeah, yeah. Style, the multicolor. Yeah. And it was everything you would think. It, it was just like, if you go to dinner at Bill Walton's house, it's everything you think it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Bill's love the it. only impression that Kenny, you have four daughters. It's not where you've been. It's where you are. <laughs> That's not terrible, right? That's, he gave me that note. It's really um, good. You feel bad for Oakland. You guys had such a good base there. Place was sold out. Huge enthusiasm. I went yeah. to your game the night before a Super Bowl. This was quite some time ago. It was Carolina Denver, I believe. Um, and it, it was it was amazing. I mean, of course, it was Super Bowl week. It was even cooler. But then they lose their damn team. Yeah, they lost the Raiders. They lost. Yeah, you guys. I know you're just across the water, but that's a long drive. You know, it's a slow drive. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the connection is still there. You know, uh, we still have some guys who live in the East Bay. Um, you know, we still spend time in the East Bay occasionally. And uh, we're still the Golden State Warriors. We're still the Bay Area's team. But Oakland did take great pride in the Warriors and vice versa. And the fact that, that the city has lost the Raiders and the Warriors, um, and now even the A's are talking about leaving, it, it, it it's – it's rough. It's, it's, um, you know, you, you feel, you feel terrible for the people in Oakland. Um, even though, like you said, you're, we're, we're only 10 miles away or so. Yeah. I, I have an affection for Oakland. I've never met a person from Oakland. I didn't like, I have a, like a stable of about eight or nine people through my yeah. life. And yeah. there's just something, there's something it's about it. Vibe. It's a great there's a little accent over there. It's a little different. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, I want to touch on, we were going, obviously, spent a lot of time on, on Steph. How how rewarding has it been to watch Clay Thompson come back from what was truly, like, for a lot of people, it could have been a career-ending thing. And it took a long time, right? And then he just stayed yeah. with it. And then... Yeah, well, the, the, he Clay went through hell for those two years. And, um, you know, for a guy who just loves to play basketball more than anything and prides himself on playing at a certain level, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't easy watching him. Um, and then, you know, when he came back, it was so inspiring just to to see him out there. Um, especially, you know, once we got to the playoffs and he had some huge games in the playoffs for us and played such great defense and, and against Boston and and knocked down, you know, huge shots. I mean, it, it was uh it was sort of the perfect culmination. Sure. Uh winning that series and seeing him seeing him play and seeing him so happy afterwards uh, kind of made it all worth it. How come you never responded? Well, you did respond. You just didn't act upon my text. I think three or four times I was, I was fronting for Jamal Crawford when I was hoping. To ah, get yes. I mean, yes. I know you, you know, you're running your team. You got the guys you're thinking, right. but he would have been a cool addition. He would have been. You're right. You're right. And and we actually thought about it. We 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 talked about Jamal a couple of times. I would have liked to have had him a little bit earlier if you had texted me maybe five years earlier. <laughs> I know he would have been a lot more expensive at that time. True. But, uh, I've always loved uh, Jamal. Uh, got and I know you know him. Hey, sweetheart. Uh, just got a great way about him, and and obviously uh, just falls out of bed and gets you twenty points. <laughs> and now he's doing great work on TV. He he yeah. jumped into that role like. One well, show DP already had it down. Like he's a smart guy, knows the game, obviously. Yeah. All right, one more Seattle connection. What was it like playing on the same court with Gary Payton and all the bullshit that he would talk during games? Great player, Hall of Famer, but he always tried to get under your skin, right? Yeah, yeah, and and I, you know, fortunately for me, I wasn't good enough to guard him, so <laughs> he, he never was talking shit to me. He was talking shit to somebody else. Uh, but I do remember, you know, those times where he would get switched on to you, like certain guys, you could just feel their length and intensity and quick hands. And he's one of those guys, like as soon as he, you know, he's switched on to me, it was like, okay, move the ball, <laughs> move the ball on ball movement, guys. <laughs> wanted no, no part of that guy. <laughs> Play it like you're, you're trying to reverse. You just yeah. decided, yeah. um, is it true that you met your wife on a blind date? Is that story correct? Yes, it, it is. Tell me that yeah. story. 
Yeah. So uh, our uh, assistant coach, Bruce Frazier, who sits right next to me um, on the Warriors bench, he was my teammate in college at Arizona. And he was dating my now wife's best friend. And they decided uh, to uh, set us up. And so the four of us went out, kind of a blind date. Uh, my wife and I hit it off. They broke up two weeks later. And, uh, you know, here we are 35 years later or something, or 1986. So did, what's that, 34? Did, did she offer resistance and you had to chase her? Or was it quickly you guys get, got each other? Uh, well, no, we, we, we quickly hit it off. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I had to, had to work, had to work. Well, this same question I asked Lenny Wilkins, who just celebrated some 60 years, some, some ridiculous Uh, anniversary. Um, the wives have to put up with a lot in in the NBA. You you went to how many different teams and how many coaching different players, you know? So how many times were there where she didn't want you to do that next thing because you were already settled where you were and it was like, oh, really? We have to – a little bit like you as a little kid, have taken off to Egypt. Yeah. Well, I played for six teams, and um, you're right. It's always the the wife who has the hardest time because coach goes to practice and meets immediate friends. If the kids are school-aged, they go to school and they meet their friends, and then it's the wife who has to build a, a social life in a new city um, and that's not, not easy at all. So, um, but my wife has been great in terms of <clears throat> understanding the NBA life, um, understanding, you know, what it's about and making the sacrifices and always making an incredible home for our family. And then, you know, just, uh, figuring out how to ride out the, the storm. I, I, there were, we had one year where I lived in Portland on my own and the, the Margo and the kids stayed in San Antonio because the kids were in school. That's the hard part, you know, being in the league. Sometimes you have to do stuff like that. It's not easy. Did going through, I guess you're still going through because you're trying to get the team above 500 one day here. Going through this, does it make you want to coach more because there's a challenge and you're going to overcome it and be successful? Or do you ever have these periods like, all right, I've, I've won a bunch of titles. Like I could just golf a lot. Like, <laughs> no, I, it makes me want to coach more. I, I love the challenge. I love the competition. Um, I love the camaraderie. You know, there's no feeling like it. Um, you know, when a team comes together and really starts to perform, and you see everybody happy, um, you can't ma- you can't match that. And I'm sure I'll get to a point at some point where I'm going to say, you know what, it's time to relax a little bit. But I'm I'm far from that. Um, what the fuck. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Kenny. <laughs> hey, Maine is a production of me, Kenny Maine, and Odyssey. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen. Our executive producer is Jody Avergan. And our executive producer for Odyssey is Lena Glazer. If you like our show, please rate us, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe.
This is your operating system talking, not your computers or your phones, but your internal human operating system. I'm feeling a little overloaded. Here's how you can ease my stress. Close your eyes or softly gaze at something in front of you. Now inhale for four counts, exhale for six. Keep repeating. <sighs> Much better. Longer term, there's BetterHelp Online Therapy. They'll match us with a licensed therapist we can connect with via video, phone, or chat. Visit BetterHelp.com positive and save 10% on our first month. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.